Hello and welcome to the Standing for Truth Ministries podcast. I'm your host, Donnie Bedinsky, and together we will venture on a journey to explore the truth of biblical creation. Our ministry is also available on YouTube, so please search Standing for Truth and get access to the video versions of our programs. I'm Donnie Bedinsky, and as usual, Stay awesome and trust in the truth of God's Word. All right, okay, looks, looks like, like we, we are, are live. Hello, welcome, everybody, everybody welcome to Standing, to Standing for, truth. for Truth. I am your host, I am your host Donnie, and I want to thank Bidinsky. you all for being we here at Standing for Truth. Are very important to defending the truth. We at Standing for Truth are dedicated to defending the truth. Interviews, lectures, and more. And so, if you we enjoy also host content, debates, interviews, please make sure to hit that subscribe and button. More. And so, and if you also enjoy this share around this content, please make sure to so incredibly that subscribe important. button. One of the and many ways share around we defend this content the truth as the truth creation, is so incredibly is by inviting important. and hosting. One of the really many ways awesome we defend the truth of biblical creation, and today it is by inviting and hosting some really awesome guests on this program for an important show. And today we have today's program is titled "Scientific Evidence." And an honor of the to have Dr. Jerry Bergman uh, here I hand it over today to Jay for again uh, for a very much anticipated Dr. presentation. Bergman, thank you so much for giving us your time. I've been looking forward to this program. as I certainly have. It's great well. to be here. So I want to give our guests it. an appropriate introduction and, uh, here. To be more specific, and, uh, we are dealing with uh, Jay human evolution is an international and Dr. Bergman's presentation and uh, tonight, and is he is the managing director for the Starting Point Project. And we will also be having an audience question and engineering immediately technology. following this from the University so of Wisconsin Whitewater and John Brown University. And so just please make sure you are tagging. He also serves on the board of directors for Logos Pretty Wild Associates. And I do appreciate he how is you a guys former are so adjunct speaker for Creation Ministry. So again, just make sure you're tagging me and has been standing on the authority of and that way I will over miss 36 your years. Now before we get Jay into has a Dr. Burns presentation strengthen their faith I do want to give our gracious challenge tonight an appropriate introduction. Jay, so Dr. Jerry Bergman has taught biology, genetics, chemistry, biochemistry. Yeah, it's great to be back on the program, and, and it's a privilege, and I'm really looking for forward to it. Over 40 years. Awesome. So am I. I do want to uh, remind the audience that, including Bowling Green State University, Medical College of Ohio, where he was a researcher who's new to the channel, in experimental subscribers since then, please check the University of Toledo. He is a graduate of the Medical uh, you know, College of Ohio, including his uh, past university in Detroit. So, Jay, the university I'll just kind of hand it over to you. And Bowling and, Green um, State University. He has over 1,300 okay. publications. Well, again, appreciate being on the program. Languages. Appreciate everyone and taking 40 time books to and watch His books and textbooks that include chapters that he authored are in over 1,500 college libraries in 27 countries. So far, over 80,000 copies of the 40 books and monographs so, that he has that, authored or co-authored are screen. in print. Now, I do have various links in the description so box of the this video, uh, ladies and gentlemen, where you can find more about Dr. Bergman, with this including his many must-read articles for the that he the Bible, has uh, written. Dr. Bergman, that's a very impressive resume, and I'm just glad that we're on the same team and same side here, brother. When we end, 
I'll stop the sharing. Thank we'll you. go back. Great to and be we'll here. Have a little bit of time. I appreciate it. Okay, so that being said, Dr. Bergman, we're going to hand it over to you uh, so we can get right into the presentation. And uh, the floor is yours, Jerry. To okay. the PowerPoint. Good to be here. Get this to work. And you should be seeing it shortly. Yes. Yeah. You should have the, uh, the title screen there, Scientific Evidence for the Inspiration of Scripture. That looks good, Don? Yeah, no worries. I, I looks could very good, Jay. As well. All right, excellent. Oh, I see so, it popping up right um, now. I put this talk and together. There we go. We can, we can ago, see your screen uh, currently, Dr. Bergman. Really, really popular. Yeah, you, wanna, because you need to see the whole thing. As we wonder about nope, the whole we, do, we just need to see uh, the PowerPoint slides themselves. So uh, you're not going to be able to see us. You'll just see your own PowerPoint presentation. But us in the audience and me as host will be able to see everything. The scientific okay, so evidence. This is about for those of you who haven't heard me speak before. Oh, me, actually, Jerry, it, over my back if I can really stop you, quickly, I, I currently see I tell people uh, two windows. Have, have you clicked ground. the PowerPoint so, itself? Uh, I was raised in a Christian home, and you can clearly okay, see that that is a yeah. Christian home. Yeah, there you and, uh, go. And I went to you a, might a public school system screen. all the way through high school. And also, one last recommendation before you start. If you see that little box there, you might want to click high. Just so. Engineering. Got a degree there, but then became more interested in physics. And I ended up okay, going to the University of Wisconsin Whitewater. No, well, <laughs> almost. Where I live, and just make sure you uh, click your PowerPoint because we can still and that's see my uh, you know, the little quite a bit yard window here. Going from the smaller Christian PowerPoint. college where my engineering okay. professors opened now up every good. class now in prayer to the large state okay. university where my physics this professors did not open up prayer. They were all evolutionists and some were atheists. And they were telling me that I was wrong about everything that I believed. And I knew what I believed, but I didn't know why. I couldn't defend the Christian worldview. So God put it on my heart to start looking into things. I did. That was 37 years ago. So I've been researching and speaking for 37 years and went into full-time ministry a little over 15 years ago. The ministry called the starting point. Project. It's all about our starting point. Everyone starts somewhere with a belief system. It's an entirely and different talk, so I'm not going to go down that path right now. Much, uh, but along the way, I was also invited to be on the board of directors of Logos Research Associates. This book, uh, they recently bumped me up to, to vice president. I don't think we've even updated our website for that yet. Um, the Jeff founder Duncan, of the group, Dr. John Sanford, he's from Cornell University. He's famous for having invented something called the gene gun. Inserts genes and into the DNA. Worldwide famous for that. Very literature. brilliant scientist, but very humble man, very godly say. man. And There's then, a lot of debate uh, about this. Also, Dr. John Baumgartner, he's a PhD geophysicist. He's built the world's best 3D computer simulation of plate tectonics. This uh, even secular geologists will use that model. So it's just kind of off the charts brilliant. And myself and three other board members, and I always jokingly say, out of all six board members, if they were here right now, they'd be the first to admit I am the tallest. So it's just humbling being around these guys, but I get to pick their brain and then translate it into something we call English. Sin, so with that, let's jump into this presentation, world, Scientific Evidence result, for the Inspiration of the Bible. As I travel around, I ask Christians Christ a question. On the cross was Why are you a Christian? That sin which and they'll often say, well, because inherited. I believe the Bible. And so if there's no Fair Adam enough, and no Eve, Why do you believe the Bible? The foundation well, of Christianity because Christian. is why are you a Christian? Because I believe the, the Bible. Most famous example is Lucy. And there's and a lot around. of examples um, in museums. If we don't go any I further than this, here. we pretty much just one have a blind Cleveland faith, museum. and there's no reason the anyone else should believe it. 
So we need to go further than just saying we believe the Bible because we're and Christian you notice that and we're Christian. One looks like a male, the other Bible, looks like a especially female. Especially for well, our own Lucy children, is, if we have any. Was the most famous now, as by part of a background for this talk, I'm going to play a short link, clip of a radio interview. Problem with that is they don't know if it was and here's the female, background. This show body parts, skeleton is hosted parts, by an atheist. It's it his show. She the was called Lucy because while they were digging the up first the bone, voice you hear will be saw the Lucy and this guy was playing, and the they second thought, well, voice like is the, on the phone so call. That's Lucy. the pastor, and the they're discussing is that the existence of God. So we'll play it. It's about a minute or so, and then we'll discuss. Are really, very, very different. So you disagree because you're you're convinced, probably because of Romans one, that everybody knows that God exists. They actually found. Which is not yeah. that many. Yeah. Why do you believe Romans one? Recognize the most complete fossil uh, skeleton we have today of because the, of the Bible. Okay. The why do you believe the Bible? Let me get a drink of water here. I wasn't necessarily prepared for that particular question. Um, you're a preacher, and you're not prepared for a question anyway, of why you believe the Bible. I'm not trying to be rude. I so just, we look at the literature. This to me is like because the, this the is the most famous example. What, why would anybody book, believe? We also why, why, why should I care what the Bible is? The reason, Lucy, the reason why I'm not that particular question is because you didn't answer what I had. We had a uh, I'm sorry. I, 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 I might have missed the question. What was the question? And that claims to be criticized by. Other evolutionists uh, had their own. Well, then how did you criticize the others? And try and to evaluate which indeed claim had the most. It's not about proving that it's true. Then we can never prove that it's true. And thank you for acknowledging that you can never prove it's true, which demonstrates it's irrational. I'm going to have to ask you to call back because we've run out of time. Now, when you look at religious differences in. Wow, so there you have it. We could close in prayer right now. That'd be pretty depressing. Um, uh, the I actually think that atheist in this case was whether evolution is the best place for the best and I think most pastors would have a better response. The but life the bigger question and for us this evening is: uh, What would be your, the listeners, those who accept human evolution, response? Had you called in that atheist the radio program? The host asked you that the second question. Low what would you Mormons. say? How would you respond? The third low is evangelical. And as I travel around. Be, uh, uh, my audience has looked at me like a deer in the headlights at this point. Historical black they, they don't know. They're stunned. They're nervous thinking, the, I don't know what I would say. Help, what should I say? And you can well, see we go all the way up to the Buddhist Hindu is what and Jews. Our and we can see that Christians, the vast majority like that atheist, along with the line ask a very straightforward, very reasonable question as to why we believe what we believe. And my experience is that way too many Christians are not prepared to have a simple answer why do we believe that God exists? Why do we believe the Bible is the inspired word of God? So I think we need to up our game a little creation. bit because these questions that skeptics ask are usually slide, really good. It doesn't take a genius to realize that there's a huge difference. And we can and I also see have a, a quiz before we get any further. On one side, I'm going to put a, a passage up on the screen on the other side, and, and we ask, can see just can by see the facial examples. There are and enormous the Messiah differences in the fullness and of time. I selected this redeem the article because the it fall. said because if they are redeemed from the fall, they have become it said the DNA profiles of these two are nearly 99. Well, some people say, Oh, is that well, uh, this is, is that simply Isaiah? not nope. true, and Jeremiah? this has been known nope. not to be not Psalm? true for years. Nope. The difference actually is about a second half a billion base pair differences. And some in other words, there's an enormous difference between humans, human DNA. 
And, and you might think, oh, that's really weird. Obvious from looking but at here's the, the face bigger question. Features, How do you know the Book of Mormon is not the inspired word of God? It's not 99% it says similar, right on the cover, another testament of Jesus Christ that they got from the angel Marana. He wrote it down in golden tablets and given to Joseph Smith and on and on. Interesting story. We're not here to talk about the Book of Mormon so much, but how do you know the Book of Mormon is not the inspired word of God? That would make this claim well, at all not. today. How do you know it's well, not? It takes because the Bible is. How do you know the Bible is? Because you're a Christian. Why are you a Christian? Because you believe the Bible. What about the Book of Mormon? It's not. Why is it not? Because the Bible is. And around and around. We don't always have the best response to that. And again, and we don't even need to pick on Mormonism. There's no shortage of religious books out there. Here's just, just a few samples. In this case, not How true. do you know which of these are the inspired But even among God? creationists, there's a disagreement about various Maybe none of them are. specimens Maybe just claim two. are missing links between which us and apes. So we tried to examine know? carefully That's the an data question. and summarize. A few years said. ago, a friend of mine contacted me and asked me to Lucy. go to a debate and, uh, at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. An and the topic and was, would the, the world be better off without religion between an atheist and a Christian? And also I told my friend, yeah, I'll go, go with you. Discoveries but I would never be part of that debate, I said. Missing link, so he said, why not? I said, because I'm not a religious person. He said, what are you talking about? Now, You're traveling around the world find? talking about well, God and Jesus and the Bible there. and creation. What's brown would be the bones Here's why I say I'm not a religious person. And the white would be what was I think religion so is man's idea of God. Of the, the reason we have so many different religions fact, is there are really, so many different people, and they all have, all have their own idea of who God is, what he is, why we're here. I'm not really that interested in finding out what everyone else thinks about God. But on the other hand, I think the Bible is God's idea of God. And that fascinates me to no end. So while I say I'm not a religious person, I am a Christian and I believe the Bible from cover to cover. Now, I realize that Christianity is considered to be one of the world's religions. So in that sense, okay, fine, I'm a religious person. But I like to make the distinction between man's idea of God and God's idea about himself, which makes it even more important for us to answer that question. How do we know the Bible is God's idea about himself and not just another religious book amongst many, many others? Now, now some of you may have a book at home that her. was autographed by the author. This one, it's pretty cool. You can show it to your friends. Say, yeah, I met the, the author. He signed found. it. If you don't have one, you can <laughs> buy again, one of my books. I'll sign it. Pretty pathetic. <laughs> but wouldn't it be cool to have an autographed copy of the Bible? That makes your head spin. Well, I actually think we do have an autographed copy of the Bible. I think God's signature is all over his word. Well, how would we know? Which well, there are four basic tests lucid. you can apply to any so religious writing out there to the see if it shows evidence found. of, of having been written no and inspired by God. These are not special Bible tests. What they These were are like. tests you can One apply to any religious writing out there whatsoever. First of all, internal consistency. Does the book you're looking at, whatever it is, does it contradict itself? If it does, that's good evidence God didn't lose it because he wouldn't contradict himself. Historical accuracy. And so here if the book you're looking at gets history so wrong, look it's at good evidence God did not write that. And we can see prophetic a human accuracy. On if the book you're looking at makes predictions about the future and they've been the proven false, it's evidence God didn't write that, you would know the future. Carefully, and lastly, scientific accuracy. If the book you're looking at, whatever it is, makes statements that can actually be tested directly by science and it's been proven false, 
That would be pretty Most good evidence. God didn't write that because God is all science. And therefore, With the if limited time we have, we're going to focus on this last one, scientific accuracy. We also call it scientific foreknowledge. Humans have a hard time climbing trees the because here. they only have well, two The Bible was written a long time ago. And you can see Old a huge Testament, difference roughly between, between the, 1500 and 400 BC. The, the New Testament, roughly between 40 and 100 AD. That's long before we had microscopes and telescopes. Yet there are things in the Bible. And that so modern scientists that are discovering and they're Lucy saying, and wow, kind these guys were actually had right. Human feet, but they couldn't have hands, known that back then. Of course, they have no direct and that's very true. Evidence of that. These writers could not possibly have had scientific detail. knowledge about and these things that they wrote about and the footprints unless God actually inspired them the in what they wrote. Found. They wouldn't have known it so on their own and that's the whole point. Is this is evidence a picture inspiration of Scripture. And you'll notice how very well, many human, of you are probably familiar with Bill Nye, the science guy. Like He's the certainly no friend of the Bible or Christianity or creation. Of men. He said, they I say to you, grown-ups, if you want to deny heads. evolution and, and live in your world, in your world that's completely inconsistent with everything we observe in the universe, that's scant. fine, but don't make your kids do and it because we need We need scientifically literate voters and taxpayers for the future. We need people that can. We need engineers that can build stuff. Solve so problems. Include, it may not have been so what's he saying? He's saying if you as an Lucy's adult want to reject evolution and, and believe in this fairy tale of creation, I guess that's okay. But don't make your in kids fact, do it because we need them. If your kids don't believe exactly in evolution, like the they won't be able to do science. They won't be able to land on Mars someday or solve shoes. more diseases, these problems, cancer and all that. Because you can't do science if you don't believe in evolution. That's what he's saying. And now, Bill Nye is Lucy not a scientist, he's an engineer, but he's a pretty smart guy, ancestors. and he's entitled to his and opinion. 2016, they found some I'm going to give you a quote who comes in from fact, someone who actually is a scientist, surrounded by not a creationist or a Christian. This comes from Dr. Birds, Mark Kirshner, he's the founding chair of the Department of Systems Biology at Harvard Medical School. They can't be too dumb and have that position. Surrounding this is what animals he said. Were in fact, over the last 100 years, almost all of biology birth. has proceeded independent of Some evolution. Molecular biology, biochemistry, physiology have not taken evolution into account at were all. Actually the What's he saying? Of footprints of He's the saying these people. men and women do now, their jobs all day old. long, all lifelong, it's independent of whether or not they believe they in evolution. It has nothing to do with that. They can date and I think this guy's in a better position to comment degree. on science. And so there's a problem. But then you may be asked, well, which do you believe? Do you believe the Bible or do you believe science? Well, if you say you believe the let me back so up. You say you believe the Bible. And then in 76, that implies that you don't believe science. More examples. And the skeptic is going to say, you know what? I, I could have sworn I saw you on your cell phone earlier today, but that's right. You don't believe in science that made it. So then you say, well, of course I believe in science. But that implies you don't believe the Bible. And if you don't believe the Bible, you can't be a Christian. So it's an awkward question for many Christians to answer. Around well, it's because there's a hidden assumption here. The assumption is that science has disproved the Bible. And so, if uh, that were true, again, that's evidence then that you have to make a choice which are you going to believe. From a but it's a false assumption. Science is not disproving the Bible at all. The truth is most major areas of science we have today were founded by Bible-believing Christians. If you'd tall, like some examples, feet, nine, I happen to tall. bring a few along. Another Antiseptic surgery, bacteriology, calculus, chemistry, was, computer science, electronics, electrodynamics, electromagnetics, fluid mechanics, galactic astronomy, gas dynamics, genetics, 
hydraulics, hydrostatics, oceanography, optical mineralogy, paleontology, pathology, physical astronomy, stratigraphy, thermodynamics, thermokinetics, verbal paleontology, and the scientific method all followed by Bible. Show the differences in the no real scientist would say that no Christian believes the Bible because this is where science came from. It was birthed out of the Christian community. So anyone who says that they don't only not understand science. They don't even know history because this is where First science had its we'll birth out of the Christian the community. And then we'll look at Further the truth, not only is belief in evolution traits. not the skull required to do science, believing in evolution actually gets in the way of, bone, of doing good science. It is a hindrance. A Here's one example, the concept the of vestigial organs. These, these fragments things are supposedly leftover remnants of evolutionary history. If we look especially at one the, of the leading evolutionists, they indicate they Coyne, are from not we humans have many vestigial person, features proving that we evolved. Period. The most popular is, is the appendix. I conclude Our appendix is simply the remnant of an organ that was critically important to our leaf-eating ancestors, but is of no real value to us. When you take in an fact, scientists had a list of 86 examples, things in our body that were useless. Leftover remnants of evolution. Of well, God wouldn't design you with 86 found, things in your body you that don't do anything. This would be powerful evidence uh, for evolution. In, the other in fact, these here examples again, we were used the at the famous Lucy monkey trial, Scopes monkey trial in 1925. She was an ape. Well, since then, scientists and, uh, have studied this list the other slide, and they've dwindled it down just the a little bit. The body parts yeah, down found. to zero. And so you they can have found use really every single one of those examples, including the appendix. It's part of the immune system. Can you live without your appendix? And this you yes, can you see can. Is you can also live without your arms. Lucy. Doesn't mean they don't have a purpose. Study, we looked at all In fact, of doctors today are very hesitant to take your appendix out unless it's going to burst. Then, yeah, you might but want to get it out of there. But now they know Lucy. it has a purpose. But it was and belief so, in evolution to say, just yank it out. It's so useless. It's not doing anything. Whereas a creationist would say, hold on a second. And we, we might not fully understand this yet, but we believe it was designed by human. God, so let's and do course, further research. Further research exposed the, the fact that, yes, it does have a purpose. For evolution One more example, the concept of junk DNA. Now, again, if you when scientists were looking at DNA, it seemed initially say, that only well, 2% of the DNA did anything. My theory, it coded to make proteins. The, critics then the other 98% they felt was junk. It and didn't so do anything. The Proof of evolution. Most cases it was They've studied valid. it further. Now they and know the 98% they were calling junk. By others it's more complex the than the 2%. True. It's instructions telling example, the 2% what to do, and it's blowing people away. Cause one evolutionist to say this, the failure to recognize the implications of non-coding DNA, that's what they were calling junk. It'll go down as the biggest mistake in the history of molecular biology. Head cold. They're saying that was a huge mistake to ever but call that junk. Anyway, you but can it was belief in evolution to get them to write it off, or the creationists would say, let's keep studying it. It was designed by God. And therefore, you are looking for so, these differences. People then make the claim, but the Bible's not a science textbook. And of course, and the problem is, in most cases, agree all we with find that. is it's fragments, a science and textbook. therefore there's a lot and I'm glad of speculation and guesswork. Because then it would be harder to understand. Details. Fewer people would read it. And here we can more see importantly, it would have to be corrected and updated constantly like left, science textbooks. The so and then while the Bible is not a science textbook, the 
it provides a framework through which we can properly and understand and interpret science because facts don't speak for themselves. All facts have to be interpreted. And the way you interpret facts is by using a framework or your set of pre-existing beliefs, your worldview, what you already believe. You use and those beliefs that area to look at facts at and come to a conclusion what you think and those facts mean. The Bible provides hole, a phenomenal you can see framework a to do B, science. In gorilla. fact, it's, it provides uh, the only accurate framework for properly D, understanding science. For example, the Bible does comment on astronomy. Psalm 33, 6, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, their starry host by the breath of his mouth. God is the one who created this universe and his fingerprints are all over was the secular astronomers will say, place. no, look up in the sky, see and those swirly gases? That's the birth of a star. We can see so now beautiful, they say. The they get very emotional. You know what they're seeing? For example, Swirling gases. Humans. Yeah, but you have to understand, gravity is pulling these particles together to form a star. Between this. So when you're gravity looking acts at skulls, on particles the key and wants to, to look pull at them together. The but the closer the particles get together, the more gas pressure there is. Course, and gas pressure is much have, stronger than gravity. It will not pull together. Okay, you're right. Well, what happened was, was there was this other star out there that exploded. And that force pushed those other particles together. Nice story. I have a where did that star come from that exploded? Well, that was swirling gases, and there was another star out there that exploded to force that one together. I got another question. When we compare that, what it might be. Where did that other star come from? They can't even get the process started. Laws of physics mitigate against it. Jeremiah 33, 22. As a host of heaven cannot be numbered, neither the sand of the sea measured, so I will multiply the seed of David, my servant. When we look at uh, Jeremiah, Lucy's writing over two and a half thousand years ago, said the stars are uncountable. That made no sense to him. And this shows because he could look up in the night sky, see pretty much the same stars we see, the which is about 3,000. From any point on the earth, you can see about 3,000 stars. Other differences Why are would Jeremiah look up ear and see a countable number of stars and say they are uncountable? So well, today, with telescopes, modern dizzy. astronomers and tell us, likewise, I don't know, so there's 10 trillion, trillion stars out there. They, they're guessing. They don't when know, but they know the there are a lot of stars out there. They are uncountable. We know that now because we have a telescope. A dramatic difference, yeah, which is, just like Jeremiah said over 2,500 years ago when he didn't have a telescope because God told him what to write. Today, we do have telescopes, like the Hubble telescope. And one of the most we have something called the Hubble Deep the Field. Of the eyes. Astronomers the wonder about the night sky. The the um, is and it the same the everywhere we look? Or are there no areas where there's lots of stars and galaxies and, and other areas that are almost empty? all? Well, they took the Hubble telescope, focused it on a little spot, a little orange spot there in the sky, the which is about one twenty-four millionth of the entire sky. Tiny, tiny speck. Focus the telescope there, leave the aperture open for a few days, see if anything develops. Is it really empty and dark, or is there something there? This is what developed in that shape. 3,000 stars. But guess what? Those aren't stars. Those are galaxies. 3,000 galaxies in an area that looked empty. And they're guessing that each of those galaxies has about 100 billion stars in them. Then there was a Hubble Extreme Deep Field. That's one thirty-two of the night sky. 
they discovered five and a half thousand galaxies, each of which has chimp. about a hundred billion stars in it. And then more recently, around, we've had the Hubble Legacy Field. The They've discovered 265,000 galaxies, each of which has probably about a hundred billion stars. Are the stars uncountable? Yep. Evidence Just like Jeremiah said a long time ago and there you can when see he didn't human, have a telescope. <laughs> The Bible also Iliac, comments on geology. An atheist can go to Grand Canyon can and see that there the are many layers so in the earth today. Upright, a Christian can go to the Grand Canyon and, and see there see are the many layers in the earth today. This is a fact. We can all see there the are layers there today. Are clear. How Other do the layers get there? That's another question. Uh, and gorillas because the atheists didn't see them being deposited, but neither did the Christian. So we have to figure out hands, why are we looking at all these feet, layers which are pretty much all over the earth differently. Grand Canyon, one, one of the best places to see them. But how come these the layers are there? Well, guess what? The Bible gives Lucy, us a framework to properly understand Human that. Genesis 6, 17. I'm going to bring so floodwaters on the earth to destroy all life under the heavens. The every creature that has a breath of life in it, everything on earth will perish. The Bible, specifically in Genesis 6 through 8, talks about a worldwide flood. If there really fact, was found one a worldwide flood in our Lucy. history, and so this what would we expect to see from that? We would expect to see sedimentary layers laid down by water all over the planet, case, probably filled Lucy, with lots of fossils because things that were living would have gotten buried. And Guess what we, we see? Two other we see these sedimentary so layers laid down all over the planet, laid down catastrophically by water, and they have billions and billions of fossils in them. Shown here. The Bible helps look us at the understand geology. Again, we can see <clears> quick side difference. Actually, Chimps, lead gorillas, tours of the Grand Canyon. I think it meant, uh, I mentioned it in the last talk. And uh, we actually spend we one day on the Colorado River going examples, around and then you can uh, see this the famous horseshoe there. bend here in rafts. So we actually raft the Colorado River side. and just Again, show you scale purpose. That would be the raft way down there, very tiny. It's about 1,100 foot drop from the surface down to the river at this point. And we spend one day walking on the rim, the Kaibab limestone, looking one mile down to the Colorado River. From and there's tree. a lot of dirt gone because there was a worldwide flood that deposited the layers and part of that flood carved them out catastrophically. So all along the way, up. we share scientific so, evidence how can you tell this? that there was the truly a worldwide flood, just like the Bible says. That, you don't need to be embarrassed about that portion there, of the Bible. You could say, bring it on. There's so much evidence for it. This Afterwards, we stop and see some dinosaur footprints. You can walk right around. They're really, really cool. And now we can Indian see reservation. movies about Lucy. We also stop for a photo op. The entire group gets off the bus and we stand on the under this rock. Nice group photo there. It's pretty cool. In Sometimes film. we stay longer and go through and Antelope Canyon. That can be added to some of the trips. So a beautiful canyon right up on the border of Arizona and Utah. So I would that. say grab a brochure, but, but you can't do that. So the evidence we have watching, what you'd have to do is just go to our website, thestartingpointproject.com, and you can look under Lucy our events, and you'll see Grand Canyon. You'll see detours, detours, uh, detail, sorry, of the tours that we give. So contact me sometime if you want more information on that. Back to our talk. Well. Looking for the Bible gives us a framework to properly understand biology, and I could go on for hours and hours and hours on this. Uh, Nehemiah of course, there are many claims made 
You give life to All everything and multitudes of heavens worship you. In fact, there are a number God is the one who created well life and his fingerprints are all over that show it. Much more Today we have something called the law of biogenesis, which states that life so only comes from pre-existing life conclude, and always and comes from pre-existing life. By the way, there are lots of books so why do we teach in all of our public school systems that life came from non-living chemicals 3.8 billion years ago? This one that principle is so consistent, far they made the most a law well out of it. Nothing has ever violated it that. It's the law of biogenesis. Um, an evolutionist actually said this, the belief that life so on Earth arose spontaneously from non-living matter is simply a matter of indeed faith. That shows that, uh, like, wait a minute, scientists don't have faith in the laboratory proven things, right? Not no, he said it, they have faith. And not only is it a faith, it is a now, blind faith, if you look and it at goes against everything that we're learning about chemistry and biology. So they might some, believe uh, that it came from dead chemicals. Traits, the science that we're traits, doing today screams it didn't happen. It area. cannot happen. Find some people uh, that have traits that teaching like their narrative. Chimp -like. Genesis 6, 124. God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds. Ten times in Genesis 1. Indeed. The There's Bible no says that God created creatures to reproduce after their kind. Can they produce a variety? Oh, yeah. Great variety, but always within limits. Evolutionary Today, you can actually breed so, dogs, dingoes, coyotes, and wolves. They can all breed together. Well, look at them. They look pretty much like the same animal. They're the same kind <laughs> no, no. animal, and they can interbreed. And you did a fantastic job, a uh, Dr. Bergman. I appreciate you the get visuals, dog. and I appreciate all the points. mentioned this in the last points. talk. But you and can't breed uh, that we've got a ton of great questions. We've got a great uh, live chat right these now. These creatures don't uh, have genetic information. Uh, to make people watching live with a ton of questions. So while we can get a wonderful variety, it's always within the distinct topic. genetic. So I may as well just jump right into some of these questions then. Please do. Leviticus 17 11. Okay, so here's um, the life of the flesh is in the blood. Here's a question that has uh, come in. very important. And I can put a lot of them up on screen, like the current ones that have come in. Each human red blood cell contains about 270 million molecules of hemoglobin. Oxygen uh, here's one from Paleologos. You have a slight amount less, the, uh, you'd be there. dead. What's interesting about uh, that is so the question is for you, Doug, Dr. Bergman, blood. and he asked, does Dr. Bergman believe that Lucy, Australopithecus afarensis, is a chimpanzee or simply an ape, how a different died. type he of ape unrelated to humans? So he went to the doctor. Like, oh, he's got bad uh, blood. They drain some blood again, on him, and he got sicker. Like, wow, he's really sick. They drain some more blood. He got even sicker. Like, wow, this guy's really sick. Because, of course, that's they ended the up draining almost a gallon of blood out of him. Ironically, if you look at the old Today we know better. You do not do that. The life of the flesh is in the blood, just like the Bible says. Because in many ways, we have, a, have a barber pole up on the screen. Then you used to be able to go to the barber to have your blood drained. Too many differences They would give you a cylinder to grasp, make a fist, cut your arm, drain some blood, then wrap a towel around your arm to help stop the bleeding and absorb some blood. Sometimes they would hang the used towels on these cylinders, and the wind would catch it, and the wind would wrap the towel around the pole. That's why today barber poles have red stripes. A free trivia for you. I won't charge you for that. Might That's find truly why there are red stripes on barber poles. Orangutans was another. Exodus fifteen twenty six. This is one of my all time favorites. If thou wilt diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God, I will put none of these diseases upon you. The common okay. explanation is, is that on here? humans have a common ancestor. Big picture. We evolved from that common ancestor. God creates everything. That common ancestor was an ape. He creates Adam and Eve, and they're perfect. 
They sin and disobey and God. They the get point. kicked out of the garden. But on the other hand, God we don't could know have what just smashed them and started over. He says, no, so all we I love you too much. I had a plan. Uh, I'm going to well, send my own son to die on a cross in between to pay for their sins. And, and that plan included God choosing a group of people through which his son Messiah would be born. God chooses the Hebrew people to become the Israelites and the Jews. The entire Old Testament is God playing so, out that plan. The entire Anybody familiar with this, uh, with this channel and the God, interactive shows we do, uh, we've always plan. got hundreds of questions so the coming entire in. So as you Satan put it right, the evolutionists believe that humans Jews and chimpanzees if he can, share a, a, a recent common come. ancestor maybe between God is 6 also and 10 million years ago. What that common ancestor looks like exactly, you know, Moses no evolutionist really knows. But it to the advice God is giving us about some type of ape. And, and one thing and I'd like to point out, Dr. Berger, to get your opinion on it. I find it interesting because the evolutionists will say the that the chimpanzees are closest was educated relatives, our closest all cousin, the right? wisdom of the and Egyptians. Yet, and, and yet Egypt, we find um, now today, a break if someone or an goes inconsistency to a in, in their nested hierarchy they get a PhD, because when they sequence and compare and the Y chromosome, books, which is non-recombining for the most part a lot DNA, of the information it turns in out that the human and gorilla Y chromosome is more similar than the human and the chimpanzee Y chromosome, well, Moses which was kind of a confusion you, for the evolutionary community. Have you heard about that? Books. And, and do you have any thoughts yeah, on that? The first five books oh yeah, that's a good point. I'm glad you brought that up. So do we see Egyptian wisdom in the Bible? We should if Moses made chips. it up on his own. And, uh, I've also and that's what skeptics say. Moses was an ignorant goat herder, just scribbling some stuff down. He made up another religion. It's just one more book to choose from today. Okay, let's take a look at what this Egyptian wisdom is that Moses was educated in. This is the Ebers Papyrus, written about 1550 BC, contains over 800 magical formulas and remedies. One of which was if you got a splinter, you're supposed to apply worm blood and donkey and so dung. On, but Modern they, scientists they say, yikes, you don't want to It's do funny that. because I like it to dig into the spores, uh, paleoanthropological literature, and I've actually sick. got many you books from the evolution side, from just this. to kind of understand their side better than so they do. And a lot of famous paleoanthropologists admit that there's not as much of an incentive in finding the big transitional form linking chimpanzees or gorillas. Everybody wants to find that transitional form in the human mind. So there's a lack of evidence for what did the chimpanzees evolved from as about you put it, or what did the gorilla evolve from now, today we know it, right because about germ theory uh, you heard of that and especially with covid and all oh, that yeah, to me that's an excuse uh, you don't to want to touch a dead animal you could get sick from that you could maybe even die well, this is what Moses wrote a long time ago in the book of Numbers, chapter 19. So therefore, uh, you know, Whoever touches a body, uh, dead body of anyone will be unseen for seven days. He will purify themselves in the waters of purification on the third day and on the seventh day. And then he'll be clean. Okay, what's this water of purification he's talking about? It tells us a few verses earlier. The priest is to take some Amen. Well said. Um, I've got a question here that came in from Faithful, Honest, and True, or and the uh, the chat is flying. You know, we've got a really great bizarre. chat. You're a fan favorite, Dr. Bergman, so oh, I appreciate you being here. Uh, I, I do remember essentially plus, what, what, what uh, his question was asking, and he's, he's wondering what are your thoughts on uh, these chimeric species or artificial species where we have 
uh, many in the, in the uh, field of paleoanthropology, uh, even admitting that uh, creatures, so-called creatures like Australopithecus or Homo habilis, That's what may actually be the uh, combination like. of human and like some crazy and therefore not really a, a species. Things in there and uh, what, around. what are your thoughts on that? Well, that's what it sounds like. Probably a combination but modern scientists say, no, that's not weird at all. That's really interesting. And here's why. Animals the cedar example, wood of course, and the cow ashes combine to make lye. Sorks and that's quite a variety caustic of animals soda. That you would think could interbreed we also can. call it soap. But, and, uh, you touch a dead body, washing with soap would be a good thing. The hyssop plant converts into thiamol, that's isopropyl alcohol. By the way, the experiments have been tried. If you touch a dead body, killing bacteria would come in handy. The scarlet wool forms a gritty substance. Apes to like an SOS with pad you might use in your kitchen, or if you ever use something called orange goop, it has pumice in it, and it can get grease out of your fingernails and hands. That's what the scarlet wool does. And then applying this on the third and the seventh day, bacteria grow very well in a damp environment. So you want to wait a few days for this to dry out, and you apply this. Wait a few more days for it to dry out, and you apply it a second time, and you're considered Back then, of course, they had some different modern scientists say this is a great Germany. natural remedy but, uh, if you so don't have antibiotics that we create today. Did Moses know anything about bacteria and germ carrier and isopropyl alcohol? Obviously not. This is God saying, Hey, Mark, I want you to write some things down. And he writes this down. They and tried, Moses tried, says, and that was great. Consistent. You got anything else? And I understand and God that says, yeah, I got another trying, one. Although today, so here's just one more example as we wind down racism, I would say that's probably Moses wrote about a certain Jewish well, tradition as, uh, in Genesis chapter 17. We would expect it would, but for the generations from what I know, come, every male among you who is eight days old must be circumcised. Why? Did Moses and say what's interesting as well day. is you have this concept said the third of a week, false taxon or an artificial said, species anything. where something like Australopithecus sediba or Homo habilis, well, which the evolutionists have, have you know, held up and really proclaimed as the perfect uh, intermediate. Um, and yet you have uh, many experts in the field of paleoanthropology, uh, specifically dealing with sediba. Uh, two that come to mind are Yoel Rack and Ella Ben. They're not even younger creations. And they've examined the data and said, no, this is not not even a real species. This is due to the accidental mixture in the same bone bed. We've got a human bone here. You and then you've got a, an ape bone here. Well, and how did that evolve together. over millions of years where some creatures... That's a very good point. And there are a number um, had of examples. Event in fact, that is that doesn't do anything. What if it had A, B, and C? Especially when that doesn't do anything. What if it had A, B, C, D, E, F, G? doesn't do anything. What if it had A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, R, R, W, Z, Z, T, no. It has to have two dozen in proper sequence. You cannot afford to evolve that one piece at a time by accident over millions of years. It's a design feature. Although several bones but now back to the said, larger picture here, are not vitamin K and prothrombin. Scientists have discovered that vitamin K develops in a newborn somewhere between days five and seven. That's when it kicks in. Prothrombin looks like this. So here's another question that comes in from Peter W. I appreciate the question line there, across Peter W. The and he asks, does Dr. Bergman believe Adam and Eve were created? The numbers Especially across created the bottom and therefore are days were the first after birth. And then why? On day one, scientists yeah, that, have discovered that a baby has about 90% of its prothrombin. It's pretty high. It's good evidence bad. is indeed but that we know that humans are all basically 
days two days and five two, down to only 30 percent. That's not good at all. To look at differences between the races on day eight, and concluded these were it spikes to a hundred and ten percent of its normal origins. level. In it fact, will never be that high again the rest of your entire life. Eight type apes. One so if you gross, are a baby and need a surgical procedure. And this was held by day a eight would be the perfect day because for, for sure you years. have vitamin K now, by of course, then, we see this as silly. and you have more prothrombin than you'll ever have the rest this, of your entire but life. Nonetheless, they did. Did Moses therefore, know um, anything about vitamin K or prothrombin? Obviously that, not. Yeah, there this are is God saying, Mo, write it down. He writes it down. Quick side note, my wife and I have two children. Before our son was born, by and large, we're talking the about like 99 going through these birthing classes because this was all new so to us. So this is why when they do transplants, for example, the nurse said if you have a baby boy and would like this procedure done, that are far take him down the hall and then bring him back. Or, uh, and I remember being very nervous thinking she wouldn't come back on day eight. I was too shy of saying anything. just kept talking and someone else in the class raised their hand and said, hey nurse, you just mentioned that you're giving the baby a shot. The, the baby is just born. Why does it need a shot right away? She said that's vitamin K. So today, the hospitals artificially so introduce the proper amount out. of vitamin K. So basically, we are so similar. And on day one, you have ninety percent of prothrombin. It's not a problem. So you could perform this procedure on day one, and it certainly is a moral issue. So when I heard so that, my hand went up right away, and I shared number. with the entire class so what Moses wrote about circumcision in Genesis. I don't know if they were impressed or not, but it was an opportunity to talk about the inspiration of Scripture. So, wrapping this up, the so Bible the actually that have the passes trying the to test of scientific foreknowledge. Right. In fact, it passes all four tests of internal Adam consistency, historical accuracy, prophetic accuracy, race, and, and scientific accuracy. So, many similarities. so the question course, is, one, one do thing Christians creationists like to look have faith at is the racism that the Bible is the inspired word in of God? And, this is now and the answer is yes, we do. Admitted but by it's an incredibly reasonable faith backed up by so much evidence. And he basically so much came out so and said, that if you want to believe that the Bible is not the inspired word of God, in the immortal words of another character you probably don't know, Ricky Ricardo, you got a lot of Biology books, to which do. is one of my hobbies. Um, you find that racism was taught in some guy many, many made up books. stuff. They typically show a and you a had ship, about actually forty a, different authors they making up Negro, stuff over a sixteen hundred year period, writing on three different and continents those pictures in three different languages, covering hundreds of controversial evolution. topics. Here we have evidence and yet they're all in agreement with each other, between, and they get history right Negro, every single time. And 27% of the Bible is prophetic in nature. That's over 8,000 passages in the Bible are making predictions about the future. Some of those are for our future yet. All of the other ones have come through every minute detail. How is that possible that these guys made all that up? Plus, they made scientific commentary that we're finding out today. Like, oh yeah, they were right about that too. How is it possible if they were making it up? It's a lot more sense that God was inspiring each and every one of these writers and we can trust what they say because they not only make the statements, they give us ways of testing these things and gives us so much confidence that the Bible truly is the inspired word of God. And 
I have a five-part video series on the inspiration of scripture where I go through all four of these categories, plus give some introductory information on how do we get the Bible to begin with, how was it written, when was it written, what tools did they use to write, and how was it copied over time. I answer a lot of those questions in that series. Very quickly, just before I stop sharing, I went over our resources. Uh, last time, but everything we have is, wallet, uh, and as I travel, it's on our table, but for now, it's starting point project .com. You've already given me that. We have and 11 physical DVDs, but they're also available for streaming, and that consists of 22 this. video so sessions on 11 DVDs, but it's all streamable online. I have I three different books that I've written and a few other resources online. So to me, that's one of the best videos and articles that I've written that are online for free. I'll give you a $100 bill. You really like So with that and with whatever time I have remaining, which is shorter than I planned, but I'm going to stop sharing my screen here and we'll do just a few minutes of Q&A with the time we have remaining. Awesome. Much appreciated, Jay. I got to say another fantastic presentation. And I really appreciate your visuals. I love your visuals, and I, I love the way you make these technical arguments understandable. And that way, you know, our, our brothers and fantastic and can, can utilize those uh, arguments. Also shows, you know, in, in uh, just how dangerous uh, evolutionary and, and so on and so theory forth. in that world. And I must be. Uh, point out, and I love your points uh, about feedback uh, the low in the live audience in, in humans Jake, because the live chat the evolutionary community never predicted the fact that so humans. I could talk about so incredibly similar. I mean, we're all percent the same. And from a biblical starting point, God created two people, Adam and Eve. So we'll just kind of get that would automatically restrict we'll sure genetic that, diversity. That makes sense uh, that we'd have we low genetic diversity. But as you put it, so, the evolutionary um, community had as to always, Jay, invent a post hoc out of Africa um, population based on your previous one. And this one sparks a lot of interest. So we doesn't work for, here. for so many reasons. And, um, so I'm, I'm really okay, glad the first you pointed one up. that out. That's some great points. This one comes in from Cool Jesus. So this was also a question I have here. So I guess I'm going to murder so many. So I'm just kind of looking through them. And I think this is a good one. He asked for Jay this argument so frequently. Especially um, from a lot of the professional evolutionists. Actually, no, he's got another question. Uh, so this isn't the one I was thinking of. Ministries like Biologos, Was it all so essentially only creationist scientists? Evolutionists like to look to the so-called chromosome two fusion as evidence for ape-to-man evolution. They purport a fusion Good of question. two ape-like chromosomes. Uh, I don't know tons of details behind this one, other than I think initially it was actually the secular scientists who were discovering. They will claim that the reputed fusion site contains the expected genetic signs or signals. If there really was a fusion, for example, like, these, wow, these, these telomeres, what are your thoughts on, on this line more, of, they were of okay, argumentation, Jerry? A large percentage of this that's often been presented, and of course, that's what you expect, is you expect then, two centromeres, you know, one for each doing of research the as well, but that's one of the chromosomes. challenges creationists have. The reason they look at that, of course, is because we're a much smaller group one, to begin with, one more chromosome we have. trying to raise a little bit of funds here, a little bit there, where the secular scientists get money from the government, which is tax dollars, and they have all the universities doing all this research, so they can do tons of research with tons of funding where creationists have to come up with money for their own land, their own research, and it's not binding and complaining, it's just kind of the truth, but it is encouraging knowing that the secular scientists themselves are ones who largely have discovered these functional sections of the DNA. 
And so therefore, um, Amen. Well said. And from my derived. research, one thing I'll add is I find, you know, the, the evolution of so-called best lines of evidence. If you Google, you know, the best evidence for common sense, work with, or you look did up, that you know, carefully the evidence provided by a biologos, their best evidence has been overturned based on discoveries for essentially genome-wide activities. And, you know, that goes for pseudogenes, functional DNA elements, endogenous retroviruses, objective sequences. The evidence, so we expected treasure and function in the genome, the and that's exactly what, what, what we're finding, Jay. We so great points, brother. Again, yeah. in this case, the evidence that's Okay, here's the, now, here's the one I was thinking. Yeah. So here's a question from Cool Jesus, and uh, he asked, does Jay have any thoughts about the outer limits of time? I understand dogs and cats, but struggle with... And there's no evidence other stuff like palm civets slash cats or some vultures or an eagle kind of if i could reword it a bit you know i host a lot Agreed. of fantastic response uh, yeah, i was just spending a, a great deal of time last week. night actually rereading and, uh the evolution is uh, always a technical the articles that you okay and, uh, Dr. if, if kind the biblical put kind is on that topic and i find category. it so fascinating that this so-called what are the limits of change is actually overlapped by a highly functional gene yeah, and interesting question, but the same question could be thrown out about what are the limits for species, to, to because they have a really hard time defining a species. They'll generally right? say that a species would be a and group of individuals that is unable to I mean, breed with if you other study groups. This area, if you look at the, data, the problem is clear. dogs, dingoes, coyotes, and wolves can all breed together. They call them different species, well, there are two yet they can breed there together, and they know that. And it's I'm not even faulting them for that. It's challenging to come up with very distinct limits. And, and whether so all we too can often, or can't more aware define of very sharply what those limits are, it's like the isn't really that important. We just know there are limits, the data, know and we can see boundaries, and, and we can give whatever names we want to them. As I mentioned, the Bible isn't a science textbook. God didn't inspire these writers so that we would know the mass of an electron was 9.1 times 10 to the negative 31st kilograms. That's not the point to go the granular details Well, with that 98%, but it gives us these larger principles within which we know there are truths. Ignoring for the most part, the Bible uses that word copy, but it doesn't define it specifically with scientific terms. Unalignable regions are they accounting for, exactly for any of these things? Are. Well, at first, no, because at first, it was apparently, and at first, there are limits. And God chose the word Barman, you know, and therefore, they in the Bible just, to know, say there are limits. On. And now, the problem between comparing at biology, we see wow, there really are limits and DNA. I'm quite sure where they are because sometimes so many things end up reading together. We didn't think they could, and now we know they can. There are things we thought should be able to don't. So, we're discovering more and more. But so the barrier is a much bigger problem for evolution because you got to go from a single cell to a human being with basically no barriers. It just keeps crossing barriers constantly for millions of years. Where at the creation model, you'd say things were, were created distinctly to make a variety within a group, but overall they're going to be going downhill. One other talk really quick. I say the big picture for evolution is we would expect a, believe, things to be going human. uphill this over time, work for getting better and better, more and more complex, hand, adding new information. The, same. the creation in model would be just the opposite, starting off biology, and slowly going downhill over time, cadavers, destroying information. That's what biology screens. We're headed downhill. Along the way, we see variety, but it's not... Between the parts of adding new genetic but information, you're not going to find shuffling or comparison, of course, the parts that are not comparable. So, what do you do with well that said. Stuff? Even you when you analyze out. these changes so on the genotypic uh, level, you, you find the that they're uh, typically reductive, and as you, you pointed out, you know, a loss of allelic variability. And so, kinds or creatures are hitting walls.
And that Various. makes for so a massive waiting time problem, Doctor uh, Bergman. Really because when you're looking at somewhere, uh, here's the next one: <laughs> two and four hundred million. So skeptics DNA like differences. to say we creationists. Well, the question is, how can the definition fixate, of vestigial structure? You know, I see this all the time. I find it to be a rescue device. To get stuck in place, that many differences and just thoughts on it. Six to rather than being useless, functionless leftovers. That's um, a great point. They'll say, uh, Jerry, and the next question that, that comes in here their function or is from Andrew Fleming. I've got it up on screen. And he asks a question for Dr. Functionless. What do you mean by yeah, missing link? And, well, uh, it's, how are you I've, I've heard those arguments before, and it's basically, I don't want to paint too broad of a brush, but a most evolutionists would never say links. they would ever discover well, any evidence that would go against evolution, because whatever they see, they will redefine things to fit, to say, well, that proves evolution. Whether you find something, that proves evolution. you don't find it, well, that proves evolution. So when they're saying that vestigial organs aren't necessarily useless things, there is some point to that. They may so just not what know what the function is, is or they may say it's changed function, but they can't tell us what the function was before and what caused that change. And the biggest thing with the whole thing is we are not seeing new genetic information building, working together to create these new vast structures, nervous systems. And eyeballs and all that. We, we are this. seeing variations. We are seeing loss of function, yes. blind cavefish. Well, that's proof of evolution. Something lost its sight. That's a good point. I appreciate the answer there, they uh, say Dr. Something regained This it, next question that comes in here has to and do so with the biggest problem for them um, is they're not classification systematics, really, when it comes to fossils to drive evolution. So the question is, Jerry, when looking at a fossil, you have Are there some defining characteristics we can use to tell whether this is new human genetic information or an A, or would the evolutionists like to say a non-human they have since they no engine to drive that mutation will not give you that even if they well, want yeah, to say well this one example you know here this mutation like it seems like it's novel it's new you, you could even give them that say fine you got one little tiny piece here do you know how much information you need to transform even an ape-like creature into a human it's called a waiting time problem i won't go into that maybe i'll say that for next time some of the bones are very similar Humorous bones. Oh, yeah. The waiting time problem is one of, so uh, you know, my you personal favorite argument. <clears throat> I think it's a fatal blow to uh, common so descent. So great answer so far, Jay. We've got uh, just a couple more here and then we're going to wrap it up. Uh, time has flown by important. with you. And as so a, there's a uh, two, two or three dozen differences you look at and you make comparisons. Super chat that comes in. want to make sure I get to this one. Jungle jargon. My dollar super chat. Yes. Can matter and energy make or direct slash order themselves by themselves? Does every physical thing really come from a greater power? Great question. And uh, the answer depends on who you're talking to. One of the most interesting things is science deals with things that we can observe. Well, that brings me to this next important question. And it has to do with these nested hierarchical patterns that evolutionists like to look to. And they will say humans and chimpanzees are more like each other than humans and monkeys or humans In other words, the question would come down to why are we more similar in genetics and anatomy with, let's say, the chimpanzee than with another form of life, out of like existence, a dog or they even say they're coming a, out of this quantum vacuum. The quantum vacuum well, is nothing. When you do you're looking for similarities. When he was pushed and, uh, on, how do you get this universe out of nothing? Because they have to say it came from nothing. Around. 
They can't you say still find something because then you just ask them, well, where did that and something come from? Even if from? no have an eternal, were around, you could still you know, find evidence of We have an eternal God, which has revealed himself. And there's some other animals. a lot I'm to go sure down what, that path, the other, but because we're short on time it, here, but, uh, they have to address you look at the how do you get something out of nothing. And Lawrence Krauss, basically, I have to paraphrase what he said. But, he you know, said that people will philosophically talk about nothing being the absence of anything. It really is nothing. He says, I don't care. But then again, philosophers the primates look call more nothing. Like he said, if the nothing like of primates, reality is so filled with stuff, then I'll go with that. He needs nothing to have stuff uh, in it so they can theorize how that produced the universe. But if you really do start with absolutely nothing, you will have nothing forever. You won't even have time with which anything can occur. Real quick, Stephen Hawking, he was one of the world's leading theoretical physicists. He had to answer that question too. He said, because there is a loss of his gravity, the universe can and will create itself from nothing. That's an exact quote. Because there is a law such as gravity. The universe and can and like create itself from nothing. What I tell my audience is, is, let's take today, a look at what he says. Let's temporarily forget about how brilliant he was. Guys, brilliant. Let's just forget about that and just analyze what he actually said because statements have to stand on their own. They're not true because whoever said them is smart. He said, because there is, I'm going to reward it slightly for discussing this. Because there is something, the universe can well create itself out of nothing. Wait a minute. If you have something, you don't have nothing. Thing. And it makes it easier and to what remember was the something who discovered the Philippians well, Dr. The law Ryan. of gravity. What is the law of gravity? It's not a physical well, thing that you can weigh and paint and bend. Yeah, that's an interesting it's point. That's such a fantastic uh, point you made you there. Have a, a when it comes to the uh, evolutionary story and nested hierarchies, but if, you have if the chimpanzee did not exist, or let's say the chimpanzee and the bonobo, well, they would just say, so okay, we're most related to the gorilla. And so we're more similar to the gorilla than we are to a lemur So they really struggle. The gorilla didn't exist. You know, then we're most similar to an old world Particles can't direct themselves. So regardless, there's always going to be something would have to have what we call that humans are most that they would want to do something so it, it's not so really good it makes evidence much more for sense within the christian world really that god himself made a, made that who point. is eternal and all-powerful and, and all-knowing i'll say this all you gave a fantastic presentation matter recently and energy and he on neanderthals and i really enjoyed it and, and you brought up so many good of our day-to-day experiences and so this is a good question that, that comes in here i've got it up on screen to perform from the orthodox day to get water to free he asks dr bergman what is the best explanation for history and, and homo sapien for various purposes and we read a lot about that in scripture i think they interbred without uh, the more we look at science and more backs up with the bible the of course us all were the missing link for amen well said jay you know you are a wealth of information on so many different topics so i appreciate that and i want to encourage people to check out your website because i really love your section so question of the month so, so if you scroll through there, you get like some really awesome questions on a whole uh, bunch of topics. Apes. So I do want to respect your but time, now uh, brother. We are over the hour mark. So what we're going to do is wrap it up here. And, and I want to thank the audience for like all the questions that they did ask. And what I can and do is at least keep uh, them in mind or save them for hopefully the next time we have Jay on the program. Jay, you are a fan favorite already with two appearances. So I want to hand it to you, Jay, for any final words, final thoughts before we conclude the problem given education sure well i uh, i'm honored to be on the program i would just my uh, warning to everyone is you can hear what i'm saying but don't trust me 
really have Hear what I say, check it, if you're a Christian, check it against and Scripture. Every now and then I what see I'm saying consistent with what you read in the Bible looks like a and allow God's Holy Spirit to direct you to the as you study His well. Word because so the Holy Spirit's uh, a lot sharper than I am wherever will be. So my job is just to direct you back to God's Word. And if you're watching this broadcast and you're on or strong and skeptical, I'm way honored that you were here and would listen to me go blah, blah, blah. I thank you for your time. Just another and people group I, my prayer for you is that you would just allow yourself problem. to ask questions. Say, you know what? This is all really That's interesting. That's a great answer, and I highly recommend you your presentation want to go as far as to say, God, I don't know uh, They're obviously a very you, sophisticated really exist, people group. I mean, they buried their dad. They were into cosmetics. God will they work had with purposeful that. navigation. God will work with that and we could go on and on and on. So the question is, and I actually watched a recent lecture just a few months ago from not a young earth creationist, a paleoanthropologist. Absolutely, Jay. Anytime I can listen to you go blah, blah, blah. very firmly and so much great said, information. Neanderthals so many are great visuals. Just a little different. And, and he said, uh, I'm definitely going to be rewatching um, his presentation. Flat out, that we are the so same wanna, species and not uh, a Thank everybody species. in the audience for joining so us. My question to you thank then, Jerry, is feedback question. Um, what's the best explanation content? for why because the truth is so incredibly important? Are Jay, God bless different the audience? God blesses. And I believe they're about 99.7% rather than the 99.99% similar that we all are. The best explanation is that when you compare any two people groups, you do find differences because we, I come from a long line of, of Germans and Finns, and therefore I have certain characteristics. And when I signed up for 23andMe, they were able to determine how much Finn DNA I had, how much, you know, I had primarily Scandinavian DNA, how much German, and they found a few other uh, groups in my DNA. And so any people group, and of course, I'm from a long line of Finns and Germans, and so therefore I have a lot of these traits in common. But they also, when my wife had 23andMe analysis done, she found that she had significant Ashkenazi Jew in her background. And so we're not saying that Jews are genetically different. We're saying that interbreeding, intermixture for centuries has caused similarities to appear. And so therefore, certainly we would expect the same thing with Neanderthals. In fact, when they did my DNA, and many people, I, a number of people I know, their DNA, I have more Neanderthal DNA than I do a number of other groups. And so, indeed, they found some DNA, which is typical of, not a lot, but they found a little bit, which is typical of Neanderthals, and that DNA they found in my genome. And so, that's how they can do this. They can trace pretty much what area you came from, not only from Germany, but Western Germany or Northern Germany. Uh, sometimes they can they can trace you back to a city like Dusseldorf or Hamburg. And, uh, and of course, if you marry people from other areas, then of course they'll find so much Hamburg DNA and so much Dusseldorf DNA and so on. So uh, that's how they can do these experiments. Uh, that's how they determine your genealogy. And therefore uh, you expect the same thing is true with uh, us and Neanderthal. And you'd expect more because of course it's been a long time since us and Neanderthals interbred. And so you'd expect more. It hasn't been in my family that long since Germans and the Finns interbred. And so therefore I have both DNAs in my system. My father was Finnish and my mother was largely German. And so that's uh, the story. That's another great answer. I appreciate how thorough your answers are to these great questions. And I like to point out to these critics what I believe is, is the obvious, Dr. Bergman. And that is when it comes to the Neanderthals, they are an extinct people group. They were highly inbred uh, based on the data we now have regarding them. Their rungs of, of homozygosity were massive. 
And uh, as you pointed out, they were uh, they were closer to the flood. They were an example of ancient man. And so they would have already possessed a different set of biodiversity. You know, why would we expect them to be 99.99% similar to us, given all of these, uh, I think, data points? So, um, okay, so great points there. I'm looking at these questions and, okay, here's the next one I got. I'll put it up on screen. Uh, you talked about the Laetoli footprints, Dr. Bergman, in, in your presentation. And uh, I've heard evolutionists assert that uh, these footprints, when examined and analyzed, they exhibit a transitional stride that's not quite human and not quite that of an extant ape, like a human or like a, a chimpanzee or a gorilla. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, I would say rescue device to try and say, well, it, it's not, you know, fully human. It's more of an intermediate. What are your thoughts on that? Well, it's if you could just find that they're human-like and ape-like, that would be a, a finding. But of course, uh, in walking in now that I'm not sure how how it is like to walk in this this volcanic ash and how old it was, etc., and whether the conditions, because of course this was found on a layer of topsoil, so they had to remove the topsoil. So you're looking at distortions. In fact, some of these they re-looked at again later, and they found different than what they indicated earlier. And so it's pretty hard to determine much from them, except, of course, the, the difference between the major differences between humans and chimps. That's pretty clear. But by and large, uh, it, some of them look like they only had two toes. And so some of them kind of look like an ostrich uh, di difference. And so it's hard to judge from footprints that are indeed quite old. And so uh, I'm not sure how you can tell much by the stride. Uh, and they only, you know, they only had a few individuals walking around. Maybe they had a foot injury or something. Maybe they uh, been spending so many years with arthritis. There could be a lot of reasons why you get the data that you got. Well, right there is the perfect response, Dr. Bergman, because I've seen a lot. I've done a lot. I've interacted with a lot of these militant critics. And uh, the Laetoli footprints demonstrate what? that anatomically modern uh, looking humans must have been around at that point. And according to the evolutionary model, that could not have been the case because this was essentially millions of years ago. They have this circular line of reasoning. And so they've said, well, the, the, the stride is intermediate. But like you pointed, it, pointed out, I mean, walking through the, the, those conditions, or if you were to check my stride at the beginning of the day, and then let's say I went to work for 12 hours and then tested my stride at the end of the day, you're probably going to find some some variations there. So I, I don't find that to be a good argument or, or criticism. Um, so here's the next question that, that comes in, and I'm trying to find it. we got 100 people live right now watching uh, Dr. Bergman. So uh, fantastic information you're, you're providing us. And this one comes in from Paleo Logos. Uh, this one looks like it's it's a little bit uh, specific, and and he's asking about uh, your your thoughts if you've looked at uh, this is a newer finding when it comes to I think the technical name is Australopithecus Prometheus, um, if if I'm correct on uh, Littlefoot, and he's asking what are your thoughts on on some of the foot bones that that were found. He's saying these indicate that Australopithecines had a big toe that was not as divergent as as chimps. Have you, have you done any research into this specific um, finding, uh, yeah, Dr. Burton? Yeah, exactly. The footprints that we have were worn down, and so therefore you only get the bottom of the foot. You don't get a lot of details about other parts of the foot. 
and therefore that's that's a difference. Also, I should notice that I'm not sure why, but I walk on my sides for some reason. I know that because of the wear on my shoes. If you look at your shoes, it tends to wear not equally across the whole shoe, but more on one side than on the other side. And so that's an individual trait. And of course, whenever you have a N of one, it's very hard to make conclusions. You need a good sample. You need several hundred footprints to make indeed a good determinations. And I find they're so anxious to read all kinds of things into what they find that you have to be somewhat skeptical. And that's one thing that paleontologists criticize other paleontologists for is they say, yeah, you see a lot of evidence and, and merit with this trait, but I don't. And so therefore they de-emphasize it. I appreciate that response, Dr. Bergman. I got a couple people in the chat asking, it looks like there's some scratching noise or something possibly coming in on your end that is okay, but it was kind of... Um, uh, and yeah, that's my dog. It's kind of hard to hear you. Okay. It's your dog. No worries. It, it kind we of uh, drowned out your answer a bit. No yeah, worries at all. My dog wants to get on TV with you guys. <laughs> yeah. He, he wants to, he wants to be famous. He, he we can he get likes, him in. He said, cute. Yeah. everywhere we go, people say, what a cute dog. <laughs> Man's best friend. Um, now is, is, is he a young earth creationist? At least he, he's oh, done enough. <laughs> um, Okay, so here's the next question that, that comes in. This one's from Andrew Cumming. And uh, short and sweet, he, he's asking, have you heard of Artipithecus ramidus? Oh, and yeah. essentially, would, would you say uh, Artie is, is good evidence for evolution? Uh, Artie is one of the worst examples that I've seen. And there's a lot of research done, even by paleontologists, that point out that Artie is a, is a big problem. And uh, I don't have the data in front of me, but I know there are several studies that I've read that claim that this is pretty weak evidence for evolution. I need, I didn't write the ch chapter on Artie in my book, by the way. So that would be Peter Lyons research. So he looked at that. Well, thank you for that response. Uh, Jerry, as, as we start to wind down here, because I did just look at the clock and uh, time flies by with you, you are a wealth of information. And, uh, you know, I, I really hope we can have you on again in the in the future, because, again, you're clearly a fan favorite. We, we've had roughly 100 people uh, engaging in, in this conversation in, in the live chat. So let's kind of wind it down here with the last couple questions that came in. And this one comes in from Chris Peacock. And he asks, if we are made in the image of God, why are we why are we more bacteria than human? Because bacteria are so, so incredibly small. Yeah, statistically, you find that we're in, what, 90% bacteria, but they're so incredibly small, and there's so many of them that, yeah, in many ways, we are more bacteria, but those bacteria serve very important roles, and we didn't understand that until recently, that indeed bacteria are necessary for good health, and that's called probiotics. In fact, they found some studies are that we have too many of the wrong bacteria, and therefore, we need more of the right bacteria that will take up the room of the wrong bacteria. And so uh, the numbers, of course, doesn't mean much, of course, when you look at the number of cells. But yeah, these I've heard these. That my, I saw it. When I taught microbiology, they said we're 90% bacteria and 10% people. But I'm not sure how accurate those numbers are. But those are things that are thrown around in microbiology for years. That's a great response. I, I, I find that when people hear about bacteria or even viruses, they tend to think of something that's bad. 
when in fact, both bacteria and, and viruses, you wouldn't want to live in a, in a world without bacteria and viruses. You know, they're essential and uh, oftentimes necessary to sustain healthy life processes in, in the cell. So it, it's not a good assumption to, to, to automatically think, OK, bacteria means something bad. And, and the same goes for viruses. So the vast majority um, of both are beneficial. Amen. Amen. And you know what? To make this uh, just a, an absolute complete dismantling of human evolution, I've really enjoyed this. This has been great. And um, one of their, I want to get this one in here because one of their go to lines of evidence, again, uh, especially with the uh, professional evolutionists, they'll say, well, you know, humans and chimpanzees share uh, genetic mistakes or pseudogenes or, you know, junk DNA sequences. And therefore, they'll say we must have inherited those genetic mistakes from a common ancestor. Uh, do you find this to be a good line of argumentation? Uh, no, because a lot of these so called mistakes we find are not mistakes, number one. And number two, we find there's going to be similarities and mistakes because there's similarities in the genes and there's what they call hotspots and hotspots hot means that you have mutations in certain areas. And so you can compare genes from humans and chimps and find hotspots in both and find mutations occur at the same place in both. And that's why we have research studies. They look at cancer, not only among people, but among animals and they find the similar hotspots and therefore similar genetics is genetic areas between the two. And so now I know that a number of researchers try to claim this is evidence for uh, evolution. It's like uh, you have a mistake, you know, the example they give is a mistake in a paper. And if I copy that paper, plagiarize it from you, and then I have the same mistake. And of course, that would prove that my paper actually came from your paper. And that's why the mistakes are the same in both papers. And that seems logical when you're talking about mistakes in papers, but by and large, that has not held up very well, although it's been popular for a few years, but that hasn't held up very well in the scientific literature because they realize these so-called mistakes do not necessarily show a common ancestor. What they show is commonality in the genome because of hotspots. Amen. I, I completely agree. Um, so is this in your opinion, because I know you've done a lot of work on vestigial organs. Is this kind of like the new take on vestigial organs? And they know that that those uh, have been overturned for the most part. So now they're looking to vestigial genes. And now we know a lot of those are functional as well. Yeah, that when they, an argument is shown wrong, one way of resurrecting it is finding similarities. And of course, the vestigial argument, which was one time over 100 vestigial organs, but now there are no confirmed examples of vestigial organs in the human body and in other bodies as well, as far as we know. And so therefore, the argument was a good argument. I mean, how could you claim that God created us and put all this junk in our body, all these organs that don't work? That indicates evolution because we evolved from organisms that these things did work. And so for that doesn't support creation because God would not make bodies with all these mistakes, these useless organs in it. So it's a good argument. It worked for quite a while. But now that we know that all these organs that are vestigial were vestigial are not vestigial. And therefore, they you know, try to find some other argument. So they look at vestigial genes. And so mm. this is the next popular argument. So evolutionists, of course, have to constantly chase the claims because once they're refuted they've got to come on to something else and when you see the world through evolutionary glasses you're looking for evidence of evolution and if you look hard enough i guess you find it and they do
And that gives us, gives me something to do to write another paper proving their <laughs> arguments are wrong. Amen. And, and I love your papers and articles. I spent a great amount of time reading through them and, and studying them. How would you respond to an evolutionist who would, who would say this in response to uh, the vestigial organ uh, counter argument from a creationist? They'll say, well, we never predicted that these vestigial organs would have no function. It's that they would have either a reduced function or maybe have adopted a, a novel or, or different function. Yeah, well, that's a common argument used now to avoid embarrassment, but actually <laughs> yeah. they, they did use the claim, and this in the literature, they did use the claim that these don't have any function, that not only has no function, but also has a problem, causes disease like the appendix. And so they can claim, well, the appendix doesn't have the function it used to have, and so therefore it is still vestigial. But by and large, the word vestigial does not mean a different function or less important function, it simply means it's it's a remnant of what used to be and has no function or almost no function. And so uh, it's a way of trying to avoid the embarrassment of claiming <laughs> that indeed uh, they still exist. So yeah, that's commonly used, but that's, uh, and I, in my books, I don't claim that they always claim they had no function. I often claim they have, they often claim they had less function and I try to prove, indeed, they don't have less function, but they have an equal, if not more important function than the organs in, did in the past. Amen. Amen. Well said. They've they've had to redefine <laughs> what a vestigial organ or structure is after they, uh, you know, were shown, unfortunately, to be uh, completely wrong and in error on that. Uh, this one comes in in the form of a, of a super chat or a donation is, is what we call it here. A logical, plausible, probable. And he he's asking, um, do you have copyright control of your books? If so, would you be interested in having some audio books created? So it looks like we're, we're dealing with somebody who uh, is interested in, in turning some of your books into an audio book. Uh, some of them do, I believe, but not, I'm not sure because the publisher takes care of all this. They mm. determine a lot of what, the book goes online when it goes online, whether it's a Kindle edition, whether it's an audio, etc. And I'm really not sure. As far as I know, there are nuns, but of course I have copyright control. So therefore, if a, someone is interested in making audio books, fine, I'll be glad to cooperate. Just contact me, care of you. Be fine. Awesome. I I appreciate, especially nowadays, people are doing a lot of traveling. They're on the road a lot. It, it's always helpful and, and convenient to uh, listen rather than read. And um, I guess here's my final question, and, and then we'll wrap it up. I really appreciate you giving me an hour and a half of your time, Dr. Bergman. This has been a real blessing. Uh, we now have over 100 people in the live chat. So again, uh, you're well-respected, and your, your answers, your thorough answers, I really appreciate them. Um, this is kind of related to the junk DNA argument again, because now evolutionists will say, well, we have these uh, endogenous retroviruses that, that are shared between humans and, and chimpanzees. And uh, they'll say that these are the ancient remnants of past viral infections that have been passed down. But from my uh, study, I've uh, discovered paper upon paper now showing that these uh, endogenous retroviral-like elements are actually um, functional. They're functional in the embryo, they're functional in gene expression, determining cell types. They actually act as antiviral protectors, which is interesting. So would you uh, hold to the same argument then that uh, these shared endogenous retroviral sequences are um, derived from this uh, faulty junk DNA assumption? 
yeah, yeah, I would concur with you that indeed they're finding more and more of these do have a fun function and that they're not just junk DNA that got in there because of an infection in the past. And But you would expect that some viruses, of course, have similarity between our genes because virus can get in your cells and it's got the equipment to read your cell and use its genes using your cellular equipment to make copies of itself. So you're going to find some similarities. But on the other hand, the DNA is so enormous. You have so many miles and miles of DNA. You're going to find some differences if you look and you'll find some similarities likewise if you look. And so therefore, they look a lot. They find some similarities. And of course, because there are similarities, doesn't it all mean that indeed we got that from a viral infection that occurred when we were still apes? So that's a, to me, that's a very specious argument. But when you're scraping the bottom of the barrel, you kind of have to find <laughs> what you can. And it's funny because they want to avoid the massive differences like going back, you know, 45 minutes ago when we were talking about the Y chromosome, which when you uh, consider overall size differences, architecture and gene content, Dr. Bergman, you're looking at a Y chromosome that's really only about 35% the same between humans and chimpanzees. How do they account for those massive differences? I'd like to know. A lot of evolution. There's <laughs> a, a evolution lot of between. Hyper evolution is what they'll say in their technical papers. And yeah. that is a code for, we don't know. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, here we go. Great, uh, great chat, great presentation. I want to encourage people in the audience to uh, please share this around. Uh, we've had a really, really great audience with so many fantastic questions. Dr. Bergman, I really appreciate your time. I know how busy you are. Uh, you really are a blessing and a warrior in, in the world of creation versus evolution. So I want to hand it to you for some final thoughts, final words, and thank you again for doing this. Okay. Thank you. And, uh, check on Amazon. All my books are on Amazon. Also, there's a website, uh, Crevo Evo, Creation Evolution, which I have about 230 articles on now. So if you look under my name, Creation Evolution, and my name, you will find the website on uh, David Coppedge. He's the director of it, C-O-P-P-E-D-G-E. So if you type his name in, you'll get uh, a lot of information. And Creation Safari, Safari is another website that I have a lot of work on. And so... Uh, it's there. So it's nice to know when people read my books and get on my website. And because you wonder, I work so hard writing these books. And I wonder how many people read them. <laughs> well, I can tell people do. I can tell you a lot because uh, we're going on an hour and a half and we still have 105 people here live, uh, really enjoying this content. And this was uh, very uh, thorough. I'm really, really happy with this. We dealt with, uh, you know, their best so-called icons. We dealt with pseudogenes, chromosome two fusion, endogenous retroviruses, nested hierarchies. So uh, in my opinion, that means uh, evolution dismantled and essentially it's, it's time to convert you know, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. So again, I, I appreciate those uh, final words, Dr. Bergman. Uh, to the audience, thank you so much for tuning in. This has been a ton of fun. And thank you so much for being uh, just so engaged in, in tonight's conversation. Uh, standing for Truth is out. God bless all.